welcome back to What Is This Music, a podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate and what it all means and why it matters. My name is Malcolm Fraser. I'm back. I, hey, people, I said I was going to be taking a hiatus. I did not think the hiatus would be this long, but life is like that sometimes. But I'm back. Got a couple episodes in the can, a couple more coming down the pipeline. As we know, the uh, theme of this podcast is why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. Um, going a little bit deeper on that, what about the music that some people love but everybody else hates? I've talked a little bit about this on prior episodes, talking about noise music with Natasha Pickowitz in episode 8, talking about free jazz uh, in episode 28 with my brother Nick Fraser. But I want to get into it. I mean, what is it with this extreme music that uh, I guess it's a cliche, but people either love or hate? Um, There is a belief. It is an old-fashioned belief. It is a contentious belief. But it is a widespread and persistent belief that some combinations of musical notes are inherently more pleasing to the ear than others. Um, This is a thing that a lot of people believe. Um, But I want to uh, dig into that a little bit, because if we uh, accept that, then what does it mean when some people don't like those supposedly objectively pleasing combinations of notes and do like uh, dissonant combinations of notes that supposedly should not be pleasing to the ear? Uh, Is there something wrong with these people? Uh, conversely, do they know something that we don't, or are they just wired differently? Uh, It's something I've been doing a bunch of research on, and among the things I have found is that a lot of extreme music is considered therapeutic by the people who listen to it. Um, Recently, I came across a press release for a new book by Jason Shores called Scream Therapy. Uh, It's a book as well as a podcast with the same name, where Jason talks about his mental health struggles and his longstanding relationship to punk music. Um, It's a very powerful and brave book. I definitely recommend it uh, to anyone who's interested. And uh, when I found out about it, it overlapped with these things I was looking into, so I knew I had to speak to the author. So stay tuned for my conversation with Jason Shores right here on What Is This Music? Jason Shores, welcome to the show. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, We were just talking before we uh, started to record about the overlap between our projects. And uh, there's the the overlap is considerable, I would say. I mean, I'm uh, also someone who's uh, done a lot of writing and editing professionally, uh, and I've played in in bands, punk and otherwise, uh, through the years. And uh, I'm also doing a podcast that is um, partly uh, for my own amusement and entertainment, but also partly uh, as source material for a a book that I'm writing. So uh, when I saw something about your book, it actually uh, crosses over with uh, not the main focus, I would say, but one of the main things I talk about, which is sort of heavy music and uh, what attracts people to it. 
you know, what attracts people to this music that repels uh, everybody else. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to say first, just congratulations on your book. Um, oh, thanks. I mean, it's uh, it's really powerful and it's really courageous uh, of you to, to put yourself out there in the way that you do. Um, it must have been hard to write. Not really. No? Um I'm the kind of person that will turn on a faucet and write. It'll just come pouring out. I don't really do a lot of writing practice, an hour a day, all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I think that the book was a way of survival for me. When I came home from the hospital, um, I had basically been beaten down to dust. I didn't want to write anymore. I wasn't. I got out of journalism. It totally blew my whole life apart. Uh, working on a newspaper was a big part of that. Um, and then just getting home from the hospital and just laying on the couch and thinking, well, what now? And, you know, I was able to reach over and kind of scroll on a notebook, scream therapy, which was just this idea that was in my head for some reason. And then the words podcast and book. And then I just kind of crashed and left it alone for quite a while in a, in a really bad bipolar depression. Um, so when I got to writing the book, it was just something that I knew I had to do. Like I knew that I had to get this book out. I knew that I had to, you know, talk to other folks in the punk scene that could help me understand what my journey was like, what, why I was the way I was. I wanted to hear their stories. I wanted community and belonging. I felt like I was alone. So these are all things that kind of made the book easy to write in that sense. That's great. Uh, I'm, I guess I meant more as, uh, emotionally because you, you talk about some heavy stuff in there. Yeah, same. I mean, maybe I'm just like (laughs) cold or something. I just didn't really, uh, it was therapeutic to write it. It was uh, something that I felt like I had to do. It was um, the next step in my life was to tell my story. I've been writing for newspapers, magazines, music writing for decades, and it was good, but I wasn't able to really express myself in the way that I wanted to. And this was my chance. So I would say it was it was fairly easy to write even the really tough stuff in the book, which is, you know, dealing with childhood sexual abuse and uh, bipolar, of course, and, and uh, you know, mental health crisis and all these things. It was uh, pr- pretty smooth just getting it out onto the page. Well, that's that's uh, that's inspiring to know as well. Um, so going back a bit, I mean, in in your book, you talk about uh, having these kind of like uh, manias during which you have flights of fancy about a million projects that you have to, uh, or that you feel you have to complete. And then, you know, they sort of, the, the, the weight of, of not being able to do them all, uh, you know, leads to a crash. Um, so were, were you able to separate the, the podcast and book projects from, from that cycle? Or was that also, uh, did that come to you more easily? Yeah, the podcast and the book were were a new beginning for me with projects. I was medicated and stabilized to a certain extent, so I was able to do things in a more rational manner. I mean, the mania essentially is the same as getting drunk. It, it removes that filter of what the right thing and the wrong thing is to do. So when I was in mania and uh, depression before being diagnosed and before being medicated, it made me really get into these spins about, oh, I'm going to start a music festival. Oh, I'm going to go on tour with Propaganda. Oh, I'm going to buy a tour van. I'm going to put these guys on tour. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put out a t-shirt line. I'm going to, you know, start a record label. All these things were ideas that were just coming at me so fast. Uh, when I was able to really 
settle myself and say, hey, look, I really want to do a podcast. I wanted to do it for a while. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to do it every two weeks on the schedule. Um, this is my idea for it. It's not going to go off track and start talking to race car drivers or something. Um, and then also my book. This is the book I want to write. This is how I'm going to research it. I'm going to go to King's and get my master's and have a mentor and get that structure. Whereas before, in a manic state, I might have sat down and written a book in a week and a half, you know, and just pound, pound, pound on the keyboard. So um, there's still the cycles. There always will be. That's my life. That's part of who I am. Um, but there was a lot more uh, measured approach. That's cool. Um, so I was curious that you talked about getting into punk through metal, uh, which I thought was really interesting uh, because uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not the only one to have that journey, but as I'm sure you're aware, uh, you know, punk and metal are kind of like put in opposition to each other a lot. Um, do you do, do you have any insight into like what it what it was that took you that that t- turned you more towards punk uh, as opposed to towards metal or or whether the whether the the differences are really that significant or what the differences are yeah i well here's a funny story let's start with that so my 15 year old son uh recently told me that he's into thrash metal and i'm like whoa that's what i was into when i was 15 years old what kind of bands are you listening to and he listed off all these bands Exodus, Testament, Death Angel, Razor, Sacrifice, all these bands that I listened to when I was his age. And it was just mind-blowing to know that he could find all those bands. Um, For me, I've always loved metal. I always will love metal. There's a certain kind of metal that is very in tune with punk rock. Uh, You know, band like Testament always had environmentalist lyrics. And, you know, there's bands that, you know, crossover hardcore bands, which were metal and punk kind of mushed together in the middle. DRI, COC, The Accused, Poison Idea, um, Crumb Suckers, these kinds of bands. So in my mind, they're always kind of the same thing. I think there's a misconception that metal is, you know, a bunch of these like teased out hair and sexist and, and uh, or maybe even like the satanic side of, of metal. And mm-hmm. they're kind of like really, it seems like sometimes like really like, I don't want to say right wing, but really militant kind of, you know, uh, doomy kind of stuff. Um Whereas, sorry, not do me, true metal, which is like, you know, you got to be metal. Whereas the stuff I listened to was either influenced by punk or or had punk ethics and ideas. And so there's always been that parallel in my mind. Metal and punk is kind of the same in my in my thoughts, but there's a distinction. I mean, the reason why I got into punk and hardcore is because I found like metal was getting boring and was getting too, it was rote and it was repetitive. And I found bands like Minor Thread and Bad Religion and Propaganda and these bands that provided something different um, lyrically and musically. But in the end, I've come full circle. And, you know, yesterday I listened to Exodus like for two hours while I was editing. And then I listened to, uh, this morning I listened to Minor Thread and Fugazi. So it's just kind of, to me, it's very parallel metal and punk for sure yeah, yeah. i think that there's there, there's obviously a lot of overlap i i guess you know there is kind of like you, you could you know focus on the political difference uh, because there is a kind of there is a reactionary strain in metal whereas punk is more associated with left-wing politics um, you know with some exceptions on both sides but i guess like when it comes down to it the, the real difference is uh, musical in, in the sense that, uh, you know, again, there's exceptions 
you know, you could name a million exceptions, but uh, in in general, metal has more focus on like, um, you know, being virtuosic on, on the instrument and parts that are hard to play. Whereas punk has always uh, come from this place of anybody can do it. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. Um, I think that metal is the kind of music that you would get into and try to play some punk songs and then get better and better. Uh, Slayer put out that album of called Undisputed Attitude, which is all punk covers that they played when they were younger, and then they put it out as as Slayer later on. So, yeah, there's definitely that thought that punk rock would be a breeding ground for music that was more complicated or or textured or involved. But I mean, I don't know if I really want to go there because I feel like punk rock even though there's this misconception that it's you know like all the punk bands sound like the Ramones well that's just not true um a band like Propaganda you know definitely feels the middle between punk and punk and metal because they're very technical they're very virtuosic um so there's always the exceptions like you said but I think in my mind it's more of a spirit and also you talked about the psychological uh you know about listening to music and the way that you feel and what you get out of it and for me I get the same uh, feeling in my body whether I listen to punk or metal it's that that full body flush that excitement that um that kind of rising of emotions uh the loudness is is obviously a, <laughs> in both but it's just that something about that energy in it that urgency and that feeling that like this is like this is what it is right now and if we don't play these this music whatever is going to fall apart or, or fall by the wayside and for me, listening to it, it was the same thing. If I don't listen to this, I'm going to fall apart. Like I need something to either distract myself, make me feel better, give me a dopamine hit, um, just get me into that zone so I can be creative. And without the music, I just wouldn't, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, for sure. Um, early on in the book, you, you, I, I didn't uh, copy the exact quote, but you, you say something to the effect that I don't think there's a higher necessarily a higher percentage of people in in punk who have mental health problems than in the rest of the population at, at large uh, i i i wanted to to just pause on that for a minute and and reflect do you think that that means i mean i when i read that my initial reaction was really cuz i kind of feel like there are more people with problems in the punk scene but then i thought or is it just that they are dealing with it in a more overt way than uh, people in the quote-unquote mainstream? Yeah, you nailed it. That's that's what I believe it is. The punk rock scene is a place where you can go and feel like you're included and you can be yourself. You can be a weirdo or a freak or whatever you want. You can show up dressed how you want. You can show up and say the things that you want to say. You can show up and say, hey, look, I'm dealing with this issue here. Like I'm hearing my these bands talk about mental health, whether it's going way back to Black Flag Depression or Suicidal Tendencies institutionalized these songs that were the forebearers, but then also later on, like a lot of bands talk about mental health that are in the book. And yeah, it's a place where you can do it. Like I said before, I don't know where I would have gone to feel like I could cope and belong in the world. I mean, I was a skateboarder. That was a cool little thing, but it was very insular. It wasn't like a larger scene. I didn't really get into the you know, like going to competitions and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you're right. It's, and you know, I think in the book, I do say that, you know, potentially the amount of people out there that have, I think it was in relation to trauma, actually, the, the quote that you were saying, you know, people that have trauma or have traumatic events or, um, you know, acute life events, 
I mean, they're everywhere. I think I said in the book, you can throw a guitar pick into a crowd and you're going to hit them. You know what I mean? But it's more that they're there, as, they're there, but they're afraid to either talk about it or, or the way that they they land in society where, where they are. Um, it's not talked about as much culturally or, or societal. So yeah, punk rock, go to a show, walk in the door, and then it's it's time to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved uh, your descriptions uh, of your tour with the band Punk Jams. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I love just the idea of that band. I, I've, I've played uh, on and off for years in a band with my brother and, uh, and it's more or less a punk band. And, and he has, you know, throughout the years often tried to encourage us to uh to improvise and the last time we got together to jam we just improvised for for a few hours and then he said what if when we did our tour we just did this <laughs> and i thought i said no no it's too, too crazy <laughs> um, so um so when i read about punk jams that fully improvised uh punk band i thought Oh, okay. I guess it can be done. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with that concept? Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it was a manic idea. Um, at, you know, maybe not at the very beginning, but as it got more and more uh, traction, it became a fully manic, full-blown episode at the end during the tour. But, you know, in my mind, it was like I'd been in bands and, and I'm not really a very good musician. Um, I can't really sing very well. Um, that's fine. Punk rock, like you said, you can just do that. And But I think my feeling was I've been in these bands that would break up. And I thought, you know what? It'd be really cool. I want to do it. I want to be here every Sunday at 7 o'clock, and I want to jam. I want to play music. I want to scream my head off. But I can't get the same four people to always show up, and I just want to do it. And so I didn't know who. I, I was trying to start a new band. I didn't know who to put in the band. or So I said, just show up at the house every Sunday at 7 o'clock, come and by, bring whatever you want to bring. You know, let's make some noise. And that just progressed. And then, you know, several months later, we were playing in the basement a couple because I do basement shows, a couple shows in the basement we played. Then all of a sudden we're playing at a outside a show at a venue. And I'm like, well, let's go and do shows out of town. Well, the problem was, is that no one else could make it. <laughs> so then what do you do? So I go and I say, OK, well, let's find some people to play. Whoever wants to jump up on stage. And it was it was really cool. I don't want to say it's magical because that sounds kind of kind of weird, but it was just such a good feeling to be up there and just going with that flow. Of course, I would black, not blackout, I would go into a dissociative state where I didn't really know what was going on anymore. And so I wouldn't really remember very much about it. But I do remember saying, looking at the people in the band on different nights and saying, okay, let's go, let's do this. And they would look at each other and they would just start playing. And then it would progress into this big, loud, huge musical din. And then it would kind of come back down and I'd be screaming and jumping off of things. And it was just such an amazing time and not just amazing in my mind. Like I know for a fact, the folks that played in it still talk about it. Like it was just one of the best things they ever got involved with. And that makes me feel good because I do have negative attachments to it because it was also a big part of my mental crisis. So sometimes I think, Oh, well, is it just making this a horrible experience for folks? And, Ultimately, they had it. They had a blast, and you know they still talk about it. So yeah, it's been five years. Um, in those uh, those chapters, you talk about you know some memorable shows and memorable you know venues and you know the kinds of uh, 
you know, either hilarious or depressing situations that anyone who's done DIY touring is uh, all too familiar with. Um, I was curious about your decision to, to use the second person uh, in those chapters, because you're, you're speaking about your own experiences, but you, you, you use the you uh, rather than talk, talking about it from your own perspective. What, what, what was the reason for that? It's interesting that change back and forth a little bit. Um, it was third person. It was first person. I uh, landed on second person. Uh, the reason being is because that person was me, but it also wasn't me. So often there was almost like a dual personality situation. And when I look back on it now, I remember looking at it from outside like so let's say you were on stage doing this i would be looking at you and i would be talking to you and saying you did this you did that and it was a way for me to remove myself but i did use they i did use he in one of the original drafts and that was like a real removal it was like okay well omniscient narrator he's doing this he's doing this and in the end i wanted to use you because i was essentially talking to myself I was saying you did, you know, you did this and now you're feeling this way. And it was a way to kind of make me and I guess ultimately the reader, hopefully understand that, you know, I'm in the book. It's a it's a memoir, uh, what they call memoir plus. So there's other folks in the book, too. But I'm basically telling my own story. I'm leading other people's accounts with a with an active narrator. So I'm saying I was sitting with Malcolm and talking to Malcolm. Um, but I needed to have that section just kind of there but almost like making it as if uh you know the person that was doing these things i was able to look at them and say reflectively you did this you did that and i mean it wasn't really me i mean obviously it was me but it wasn't how i act and behave in in quote-unquote normal life and so for me to say, you know, I jumped off of this chimney and landed on the floor, or I was wearing this, you know, black lace thing, like uh, cinched around my face, or pretending I was hanging myself with a microphone cord. Uh, these kinds of things aren't really how I hold myself, especially now, especially now that I'm medicated and more stable. Um, so yeah, there was that need to have a, a division there. Right. Um, I also noticed in the book that you jump back and forth in the timeline quite a lot. Um, there were times when, you know, like I, maybe I should have been more focused in the reading, but I was like, okay, hang on a second. <laughs> is this before the, the, the major breakdown? Or is this after? Is it during? Um, what was your um, this decision process like to put it out of order like that? Because the mental health journey isn't uh, used to be called, I, I was going to use to a punk rock journey to mental health. Okay. Well, that implies that you, that you have, you know, a, a, some sort of a breakdown or a, what I call a crisis. And then from there you're journeying to mental health, which is totally not the case. Mm. Um, the word through implies that, you know, you're, you're weaving through something. You're maybe going back and back through again in this way and that way. And that really is what my journey looks like. And also some folks in the book that I talked to, share that idea um so to have it just chronological especially when i'm often flashing back to trauma in my childhood it's really hard to be you know and then i did this thing and then next year i did this thing 
because uh, a mind doesn't work like that. You know, my memories flash back here and there and everywhere. And um, to write it in a chronological standard uh, structure wouldn't have done it justice, I don't think. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is not so much related to music, but you you do talk about it uh, in, in the book related to musicians. Um, I was interested in uh, your comments on social media addiction. Um, when you when you spoke about your own experiences, I definitely saw, you know, my own experience and 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 certainly the experience of some people I know who just kind of like went on a went on a bender, so to speak, of uh, of not just overusing social media but using it uh, in this kind of uh, judgmental way. Um, and I was curious, you know, just to, just to tie it into talking about music, you also talk about how some musicians feel like uh, social media is kind of an inescapable trap because they have to use it to promote themselves, and yet it creates these unhealthy feelings. Um, so, so where where are you at now? Uh, you know, as you embark on on promoting this book uh, with that, I'm enjoying the challenge of promoting the book without any social media whatsoever. Um, the podcast has an account, but it's just kind of crickets chirping. doesn't really get, <laughs> I don't even know why I bother doing it because it doesn't, it just seems like an exercise. But yeah, I, I'm not doing any social media. I'm working really hard to sell books uh, directly to people. I'm working really hard to get the word out through podcasts like yours and, and reviews in literary magazines and press and the media. I don't think it, really works and I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the musicians um, kind of begrudge it it's because there's so much white noise out there and people just don't see anything anymore I mean when I was on social media I don't know how many hundreds of things I'd see related to punk records coming out and because of my circle of my network on there and you just don't I just didn't pay attention anymore and, and so I don't really see the results of it I haven't seen the results of it I think that when you say of it, you mean 20... of, of promoting things on social media? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. If you're going to get 25 people out to a basement show or, or a punk show, you know, no matter how much promoting that I've done in the past, and of course, like I said, I don't do it anymore. It's just punk rock, especially, or, or even being creative to me is person to person. It's, it's very much like I can go down to, uh, you know, the local... Uh, club and sell a bunch of books to people just by being there and, and sort of talking to them about it. So, and then on the addiction side, I just, I can't do it. It's just not healthy. I'm very addictive. I have other, you know, addictive uh, traits and have had, a, have had other addictions in my past. So it's just not healthy. I just don't feel good when I do it. Um, I just don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference in the amount of books that I sell or the amount of um, ideas that I can can sort of get out there and my, relating my story. Yeah, that's really interesting. Maybe uh, I'm naive. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of truth there. I mean, you know, not to get sidelined talking about this, but I mean, you know, social media in a way, it's where a lot of people just are all the time. So, you know, I try to, I sometimes say to myself, well, it's where people are, so I might as well try to reach them where they are. But then again, I mean, it's, it, it's, I, I do wonder about the, the, you know, the, the return, the ROI that you get from, from all, the, mm -hmm, yeah. all the negative sides. Um, coming back to the punk 
uh, music community a little bit, although this might be somewhat related. Uh, there's always, I've always noticed these two sort of strains in, in punk rock as a community. There's this very idealistic side and this very nihilistic side. And in your book, you sort of, you talk about navigating both of those, um, both of those uh, sides of it. Um, why do you think uh, that there is that schism? Well, because they're very similar, aren't they? I mean, they seem like polar opposites, but they're actually very, very much uh, the same in some ways. How so? You know, well, because they're both extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, they both are an expression of of anger and potentially sadness and all these emotions that we deal with. And I think that if you can be a nihilist, and I mean, I depending on your definition of nihilist, but I wasn't doing a lot of social justice um, kind of work when I was screaming in punk jams. I was very much uh, self-harming. You know, I was I was just giving my body up and saying, look, you know what, like the only way for me to cope right now and not completely... Uh, crumble apart is to, is to do this thing and to spend an hour and a half smashing myself on things and just screaming out my emotions and screaming out my trauma. And so that you could say that's almost nihilistic in some ways, but at the same time I was being, I was uh, affecting people, you know, people would come up after the show and say, Oh my God, I've never seen anybody do that before. I just feel like, you know, you've really inspired me to do this, this and this, or I feel open now to, you know, like be myself or, or express my, my, my emotions. So yeah, there's these two camps, but I think that maybe it was just a situation where people got into it for different reasons and, and they went off on their different forks. Yeah. Um, but ultimately they were doing kind of the same thing. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, in the punk jams sort of tour diary section, there's a part that, that jumped out at me where you talk about going into a bar and hearing uh, "Lover Boy," and you refer, you refer to it kind of an as, as an aside, as I think the quote is "shit music that I secretly like." And I wondered yeah. if we could unpack that a little bit. Um, you know, what is what is the reason that you or anybody would want to be secretive about something they liked, or or have a public facing taste and a private taste? Yeah, I've often wondered about that. We used to joke that everybody has a drawer somewhere in their house that has all the all the shitty tapes or CDs in it. You know, you open it up and you've got, for me, the band Everclear. I mean, oh my God, their album Sparkle and Fade is probably in my top 10 of all time. And I don't like the rest of their stuff. And they're considered to be an awful band by a lot of people. Um, you know, and I don't, I think that there's this, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a uh, peer pressure or or uh, being scared of what other people might think. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of posturing and, and well, we have to like all the coolest bands and we all have to like the same bands and we have to read the music magazines and whatever they give good ratings to, we have to buy those records. And I think that a lot of people have gotten away from just listening to what they like. Um, people ask me what kind of music I like and I just say I like good music. I, I like all the genres, but it has to be good. You know, and so... Yeah, I think that was that was a bit of a dig on the fact that that person that that punk jam screamer wasn't um, wasn't as confident in some ways, even though mm. that character was like seemed overly confident. Like 
you know, very like boisterous and rambunctious, but there was a lot of, um, you know, kind of, yeah, there's a lot of, um, vulnerability in that character. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Why do we like Loverboy? Because Loverboy has catchy songs and God, I was ran down the street on New Year's Eve with a boombox playing that song and it was awesome. And so it's more about the energy sometimes than it is about what's cool and what's not. Of course, of course. Um, I, uh, I, this is a question that I ask all my podcast guests is, uh, is there a genre of music that you just can't get into can't understand or just plain don't like uh and, and, <laughs> and if so why yeah i i play music at the i work at a movie theater so i have to put music on in the lobby every night that i go in and sometimes i'll throw on a you know a different playlist of different style of music <clears throat> again i think it's a question of whether it's good music or not i mean there's decent stuff in all genres sure i mean you can throw you can throw a country and say okay well country sucks because that seems to be the common <laughs> common uh opinion on on stuff i mean depending i'm talking like like i'm talking uh nickelbacky kind of country like what they call new country okay i'm not talking the classic stuff um classical stuff for me it's just even though it's totally like you know ver- it's just like a, so much going on and so musically complex but i have a hard time following it and then I think jazz, jazz is amazing music. Like, wow. But I've never, never been able to, f- again, follow it. I have, I have attention problems. And so it's hard for me to latch on to music that I don't quite understand. I mean, having said that, I love noise and I love, you know, like wild metal stuff and I love experimental music and I play in a noise band. Like, so I'm not like adverse to weirdness. And But there's something about jazz that just doesn't quite um connect for me yeah yeah i definitely i mean i i um i i my brother who i was talking about before is a serious jazz musician and i i've i've said to him sometimes it's certain projects he's played with i just say like i just need a little more something as a through line to uh yeah but that the other stuff can can weave around um totally another one too is, sorry malcolm is is uh kind of a subgenre, but I cannot stand jam bands. Like I cannot deal with the fishes and the Grateful Deads and the string cheese incidents and even Dave Matthews band. That stuff just ugh like there's something it just seems so masturbatory or, or just so pomp you know, pompous and I I just can't deal with that at all. So despite or because of being, you know, the creator of one of the world's only, if if not the only punk jam band. <laughs> yeah there you go wow i never even thought of that i mean um, the, the, well maybe yeah right maybe people thought of us name, as being right yeah maybe thought people thought of us as being the fish of punk rock <laughs> i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised uh yeah <laughs> um so i mean do you uh, do you have a, any insight on how musical taste uh relates to personality through through the work that you've done yeah i i think there's a need for people to reach out and to be seen and heard. And I think those people tend to gravitate more towards genres like punk rock who do see them. You know, they're not on a stage. They're on the same level. They're not looking down for the most part on people. So I think people with personalities where they, they're really looking for, you know, um, some validation or some 
you know, they're, they're not, maybe not necessarily like boisterous. They're more shy. Uh, I think gravitate t- more towards metal and punk, which is weird because you think it'd be the opposite, but you go to a metal show, you know, there's a lot of like really quiet kind of nerdy people, which are amazing people. Um, I think also on the other hand, people who are loud and boisterous want to go to punk shows and go in the mosh pit and yell at the bands and yell at each other. And so I think it kind of, kind of worked both ways on that personality. I think people who have, who have like sort of flat personalities are going to tend to listen to the radio on the way to work. Mm. You know, they're going to listen to music as background. Uh, people that say, I, I, I ask them what kind of music they're like, Oh, I don't like music. Like, Whoa, what kind of like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get away from me. Right? It's always yeah. a slightly frightening. Yeah. <laughs> Very disturbing. Um, well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with me. And uh, I wish you all the best with, uh, with your book and, uh, and all of your projects. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks a lot for having me on. You bet. Scream Therapy, A Punk Journey Through Mental Health by Jason Schurz is available now from Mansfield Press. You can go find out about it online. Uh, Jason's uh, website is screamtherapyhq.com. You can order the book there and find out more about the project. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you for bearing with me during this long pause. Uh, I hope to be back very soon with more episodes, and I look forward to exploring the question further of what is this music? Music